Turn to Galatians chapter 4, actually chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Um, anytime I've ever heard that verse taught, it's generally taught against sin. Drugs and alcohol and promiscuity and, and, and the, the, the big, the big sins. Contextually, though, Paul is addressing religion and the law. And, and the, the wanting to go back to the law to be justified before God. Um, I believe this is a warning to us as a church, and really it's a warning to our community. Uh, they're not here, but, but for them to know that there is a great danger in not just in sin, but in the sin of religion. Um, turn with me now to Galatians chapter 4. Uh, look at Galatians 5.1 sort of as our target. And then go back to Galatians chapter 4. And rather than give you the five-point sermon and the, you know, the highlights and all this business, let's just let me just tell you what the Lord wants you to know today. So verse 1 says, I mean that that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Lord Jesus, I just praise you. And I pray that in the next few moments, as, as we go through these few verses, that your truth would be plain and simple, that it would be seen by everyone, that it would be latched onto by everyone, that it would become a part of us, not just intellectually, but emotionally. It would be, it would change the very fabric of who we are. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Salvation's simple, right? You give your life to Jesus. You you repent of your sins. You you understand the grace. God opens your mind, whatever you want to say. He opens you to his grace. Through his grace, you repent. Through all of that, you are saved. And, you know, if you're like me, you said a sinner's prayer. You know, God, forgive me of my sins. And you, you prayed at an altar or you prayed with a, a pastor or you prayed with, with somebody who, who helped you recite this prayer. Praise God for that. I did that when I was 13 years old for the first time and have done it many times since then. Um, many people have come to know the Lord in that way. And it's, a great, it's, it's a good starting point. What it leaves out is exactly what Galatians 4 and 1 through 7 is saying here today. You are forgiven. Never lose sight of that. Never lose sight of the fact that you were once a sinner that you were uh, condemned to hell, but God rescued, from, rescued you from hell. But as much as you are forgiven, it's so much more than that. You are now a child of God. And as such, you are moving from one place to another. And this involves trust. 
and in our church and in our community and really in our country, trust has been eroded. It has been destroyed. We no longer trust corporations because we know that their that their bottom line is the almighty dollar. They will produce a bad product that will hurt people because they'll make enough profit in the long run so that later they can compensate folks who are hurt by their product. Because mathematically, they still make money at that. We can't trust our politicians because even the ones who say all the right things, eventually they, they betray us somehow. They betray their families. They betray their spouses. They betray their cabinets. They betray their officials. They betray everybody. We can't trust them. We, we have a hard time trusting the church. Because while it's, it's by far the minority, they're the most uh, – media especially focuses in on the minority like a laser so that non-Christians believe that the church is foul, that the church is corrupt, that the church neglects God and, and, and really is only a scheme to make money and lord power. There are churches and there are pastors and there are, there are groups who do that. They are the minority. The media doesn't care about the majority. The, the media cares about that which will sell a paper or, a, a, or an internet page or, or a news program. We can't trust the news anymore. Who can we trust? Jesus. I have made a very deliberate effort here in this place to not promote me, but to promote the chapel. To promote everything South Bay Chapel and Jesus, of course. I, I could care less about me and my stature and how many retweets I get and how many people are sharing my stuff. Um, if people don't know Jesus, I really don't care. Um, a lot of good people will end up in hell because they thought that just by sharing something on Facebook, they were living a Christian life. Who can we trust? Jesus. Who should we promote? Jesus. Whom should we follow? Jesus. In this passage of scripture, Paul is inviting you to trust Jesus. I'm not here to question whether you do or not. I want you to question whether you do or not. Paul says in verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I got to admit, every time I've ever read that, I've always thought he was just being repetitive. And the translators decided, well, we'll keep, we'll mix it up a bit, and we'll put Abba and Father. He's literally saying Father, Father, or Abba, Abba, but but we'll mix it up and give them both translations. And and then I looked it up and I realized, no, that's not what has occurred at all. Paul is being very deliberate in what he is what he is saying. I mean, the Holy Spirit's working through him. I get that. But this Abba, Father, it only occurs three times in the Bible. The, twice it is written by Paul. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, uh, he kind of relays the same message to the Roman church. You're, a, you're no longer a child of slavery. You cry out, Abba, Father. Turn with me now to Mark chapter 14, though. And this is the first instance of where we find this Abba, Father. This is the first time we hear in the New Testament crying out to God as, as Abba. Verse 14, start in verse 32. And they, the disciples and Jesus, went to a place called Gethsemane. 
And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took him, Peter, excuse me, and he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Before I go further, this is Jesus in the garden. Here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to intellectualize all of this. I am very guilty of doing that most of the time. It's not that there's anything wrong with that, but you come away with a very sanitized version of the gospel. You come away with a, with a one plus one is two, and the emotional aspect of the gospel is no longer there. You're no longer invested with your soul. You're only invested with your mind, and it's got to be both. Not, one's not better than the other. It's got to be both. And so intellectually, we understand salvation. Intellectually, we understand that, that Jesus was in great distress. But I want you to be in the garden with Jesus today. I want you to picture him. I want you to see him in the dark, in the wilderness, in this garden, in this place where there are, it's just, there's uncertainty. That's one of the great things about being out in nature. It's the uncertainty. You know, at home, you can pretty much plan how things are going to go. But in the wilderness, in nature, you don't know what animal might happen upon you. You don't know what is poisonous, what's not poisonous. You've got to be very careful. But it's this place of, of, of absolute uncertainty. You're at the whim of the elements around you. That's where Jesus is. And he falls to pray because he's in great distress over what's about to transpire. Intellectually, he knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be crucified. He's known this for as long as he's been on this earth. He's known this for eternity. As the Bible says that before the foundations of the world were laid, this plan was in place. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, knew what was going to happen, but yet in this hour and in this moment, he is in great distress. The other Gospels will say that he begins to sweat great drops of blood. I've been nervous to the point of sweating. I've been scared to the point of perspiring, but never to the extent to where the capillaries in my face began to burst because my blood and my heart are pumping so fast and furious that, that it's just exploding and mixing with my sweat and coming off of my face. We see that the shed blood of Jesus begins here in this garden. And he begins to pray. For hours... Hours. Jesus was a powerhouse when it comes to prayer. As much as you find him sparring with the Pharisees, healing people, you find him equally praying, communing with the Father, talking to his dad. And here we find him again in this garden. We know by having read this before that the disciples, even the ones he brought with him, Peter, James, and John, they're asleep because it's late. They're tired. They've been walking. They've been doing all sorts of things with Jesus, just walking around them, teaching and preaching and, and serving, and they're tired. And Jesus might be tired too, but there's something more important. Here's what Jesus says in verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup 
from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In the time where Jesus required the most intimacy with God the Father, in the time where he was most distressed, in the time where he was in in most desperate need, intellectually, he knows what's going to happen, but emotionally and physically, everything's crumbling. Everything's just, he's in great distress, distress, and he 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 is asking his dad that this may be removed from him. And it's in that moment that he cries out this, this Abba, Father. In the Middle East, Abba is what they call their dads. If you've ever raised a child, it's, it's one of the first groups of syllables, or not syllables, consonants and vowels that babies can put together. Abba, Abba, Abba. It's a very primal, it's a very, it's a very rudimentary sound. It's this way that Jesus communes with his dad, God the Father. And he starts with, Lord, Dad, this is too much. If it is at all possible, may this cup be removed from me. Remember, Jesus knows. Jesus knows how this all goes down. Jesus being all God is also all man. This great paradox, this great mystery that we we still today we 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 have a hard time just fathoming but it's in this moment where jesus shows us what it means to trust abba father it means in the midst of uncertainty in the midst of all things chaotic in the midst of great distress in the great in the in the in the, the in the midst of just being torn apart your will be done This is hard. How many people ever go through hard stuff? On any given Sunday or a Wednesday, I have people come and tell me, um, you know, by the way, I need you to pray for me. This is happening in my family. Holy moly. I know many of you are going through things that are gut-wrenching. It's like there's a knife in you and the enemy just keeps twisting it and twisting it and twisting it. And, 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 and demanding that you give in, demanding that you just stop, that you stop trusting God. He goes to the garden, he goes to Adam and Eve, and he demands that they stop trusting God. Is that really what God has said? Did he really tell you that, to not eat of that fruit? Let me tell you why he told you that. Because you will be like him once you eat it. He lied to them, and they trusted him over God. So in the garden, you have Adam and Eve distrusting God the Father. Thousands of years later, you have God the Son trusting God the Father. I'm here to encourage you to trust God, not not that things won't be painful, That's the primary message of many different gospels being preached in our country today. Trust God, nothing will hurt you. Trust God, you'll never have pain. Trust God, there'll never be problems. Trust God, and and everything goes away. No. I got a, a children's song CD from my kids. And the first song 
was roughly 40 seconds. And it said, basically, now that I met Jesus, all my problems have gone away. And I chucked it. I don't need my children learning that garbage. Yes, when you, when you meet Jesus, yeah, everything comes behind him now. I mean, <clears throat> Jesus said, you know, don't fear man who can only take your body, but, but fear God who can burn both in hell, soul and body. Jesus is pointing out that, yeah, there's going to be people who are going to want to hurt us. We're going to have things like tornadoes rip through our neighborhoods and take out homes and take out lives. That's really going to happen. We don't know when. We don't know where. Our days are numbered. God knows the number. We don't. But will you trust him? You're going to go to the doctor. The doctor might say, hey, we think it's cancer. Spouse is going to sit down. You know what? I think things have come to an end. Children are going to come and say, you know what? I don't believe in the God you believe in anymore. You're going to get a bill in the mail that you didn't know where it came from. Someone's going to demand something of you that you can't give. I pray that nobody would hurt you in the future, but maybe somebody's hurt you in the past and the enemy keeps using that against you. Remember how they took advantage of you? Remember how they hurt you? Remember how they abused you? Remember how they abandoned you? Remember how they, they reveled in your pain? You see, the gospel is not a promise of a pain-free life. It's a promise that every pain and every hurt comes with a purpose. We are saved by every stripe on Jesus' back. Let that sink in for just a moment. We're not saved by a business transaction. We're not saved because God just lets us in. We're saved by every stripe on his back, every thorn in his brow, every spear in his side, every drop of blood that was shed. Every bit of pain inflicted upon Jesus came with a purpose, and that purpose was to save you, to save you, to save me, to save us. And now you're invited to trust him. Not just with salvation then, but the amount of days we have between now and then. See, living a Christian life is not about just getting saved then. It's about getting saved now and living that now. So here's the challenge today. Will you cry out, Abba, Father? You know what that means? That means you let go of everything. You no longer care what other people might say. You don't care what other people might see. You don't care that, uh, what your own flesh might feel and think. You cry out, Abba, Father, Dad, save me. But your will be done. If I should be saved in that, praise God. Should I have no pain in this process? Hallelujah. But Lord, your will be done first. And watch the Lord redeem even the worst of circumstances in your life. The betrayals redeemed. The abuses redeemed. The accusations redeemed. God using them for his glory and for your good. Do you know what this all equals? It equals you being 
a child of God, delivered. Let that word sink in for just a moment. Delivered. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, have been suffering through something physical for decades, for as long as you can remember? Let me be be a little uh, transparent with you. That's the big buzzword nowadays. I have struggled with my weight since I was approximately seven years old. I have had great victories, and I have had even greater defeats. I have struggled, struggled, struggled with my weight since I was seven years old. I'm going to be 36 this year. So for 29 years, start going to the gym this week. It hurts. It feels good afterwards, but during you're like, oh gosh, I wish I was done. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Have you ever had that? Maybe it's not maybe it's not your weight, maybe it's an addiction, maybe it's maybe it's something else, maybe it's an attitude, maybe I don't know. But we're not just talking about something that came upon you in the last couple of days, I mean decades of time. Deliverance means being taken from that out of it, delivered, cast out, taken away. And in those moments and in those times where God delivers you, there is this, I don't even want to call it joy. It doesn't seem like the appropriate word, but that's the best word I have right now. Relief, maybe? Maybe that's a better word. It's as though the yoke has been taken from your shoulders. That's what we're, that's what we're striving for. The Galatians were putting it back on themselves. Paul is warning us, don't, don't put that back on. Jesus died to remove it from you. Jesus died to take you from being a slave to making you a son or a daughter. From taking your old last name and giving you the name of Jesus. And you now belong to his family. That's why we strive to have this be like a family. And God is our father and Jesus is our savior. And the Holy Spirit is is the one ministering through us and delivering us and leading us into truth and telling us about the Son. That's why we love Jesus so much. I, I, I'm, always, I'm always weary, or, or leery rather, of folks who, in the name of Jesus, end up promoting themselves, and they become the hero of their own story. They become the hero of the narrative they might be telling. So that they're exalted and Jesus is forgotten. Jesus is just a supporting actor. Jesus is just some guy who's part of the story. But it's all about me or or it's all about us or it's all about that group. Jesus is your hero. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. And he's the one that you need to trust. Will you trust him today? Let's stand. Since you have all prayed for me, I would like to pray for all of you. I'm not going to make you come up again because three times on a Sunday, you can't come up front three times on a Sunday. You guys would call the Vatican and have my license revoked. But I would like to pray for you. Make no mistake about this. I might be the pastor here, but I am the, I am the under pastor. Jesus is our pastor. Paul says it like this, follow me as I follow Christ. I would say to you, follow me as I follow Jesus. The emphasis is on Jesus. Follow him. We'll all be going in the same direction. 
We'll all fail together if we go the wrong way. We'll all succeed together when we go the right way. Trust me? No. Trust him? Yes. Trust that if I should ever go the wrong way, he will remove me and bring in somebody who will go after him. Do you you understand that? I will strive to always follow him, but he is our pastor. Jesus is our pastor. Jesus is the great shepherd. Let's pray, and I'm going to pray for you. Jesus, I am humbled this morning and reminded that as much as we are forgiven, that we also indeed have become your children. And that as such, everything about us has changed. Our family affiliations are different. Who we are and our future is different. Even our emotions that might betray us and and our feelings that will deny you, Lord, we know the truth and we choose to believe the truth rather than what we might feel. Father, I pray for everybody here today. I pray that you would show them all of this, that if they have not seen it already through this message, that they would know that they are children of the almighty God. And that as children, they will endure and go through and persevere some of the most hard things ever. But you will be with them walking through these valleys. That though they might be in the valley of the shadow of death, you are walking with them and leading them. Father, I pray that we would all be in one accord. As I read the book of Acts, I realize you have shown us how to be a church, how to be a group of believers, how to be in one accord and follow and be in pursuit of you. And I pray that you would lead us. Father, I'm praying for impurities to burn away. That there, if there are any lies in our gospel that we've believed and, and maybe we've adopted, and myself especially, Lord, may they burn away, may they be held up to the cross, and may they fall away if they are not the truth. And Father, I got to be honest, even if we are cognizant and knowing that we are your children, Lord, we're tired. The enemy has ran us and ran us hard. And I'm praying, Lord, for rest. Not rest for the sake of rest, rest so that we we may get back up. And go forward in the calling that you have for us. That we would. That we would be. Restored. That we would be alive again. And go out in the power of your Holy Spirit. To take down strongholds. To take back grounds. All the other metaphors we find in your word. To just go out and destroy the enemy by exalting your son. We pray for all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, for he is great and he is good. And we are not worthy of him, but he is worthy of all praise. And we give it to him today in Jesus' name. Amen.